0: Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andrew Cardozo, and I'm president of the Pearson Center. Uh, you can't see me for, technolo- for technological reasons we weren't able to overcome this afternoon, but I am here. This is not a recorded message. Though, so, as many of you will know, the Pearson Center is a progressive think tank that addresses the big economic and social challenges of the day. And in that context, I'm pleased to welcome you to webinar number 20. In the major, uh, on the major issues concerning COVID in our society. Uh, the other webinars are available to you on our YouTube channel, so just go to YouTube and type in Pearson Centre. I want to take a moment to thank our two sustaining sponsors, without whose help these sessions would not be possible. They are Canada's Building Trades Unions and the International Association of Five Fighters. And today's session is co-sponsored with SocialCanada.org. Today's webinar, as you know, is entitled Taxation of the Global Corporation, with special reference to the COVID period. What is happening in Canada? What is happening elsewhere? And what should we be doing? Uh, We have an amazing panel of experts on this issue, and I will just do a short intro of them because I think we want to hear everything they want to say, they have to say. Professor Alison Christians is a leading Canadian expert on tax policy. Uh, She's a Tax Law Scholar and the H. Heward Steichman Chair in Tax Law at the McGill University Faculty of Law in Montreal. Toby Sanger is Executive Director of Canadians for Tax Fairness. He's a past Chief Economist of QP National. And Chandra Arya is the Member of Parliament for Nepean and indeed is renowned for his work on a number of issues regarding innovation and technology with special reference to the Ottawa Valley. Our moderator today is Terence Hunsley, Senior Fellow at the Pearson Centre, and also editor of socialcanada.org. With regards to the format, the panel discussion will last about 40 minutes, and then we'll have time for Q&A towards the end of the session at about 2.45, and we will end promptly at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Please use your question box on your screen to send in questions Uh, as soon as you can, and we'll try and get to as many as we can during the Q&A period in the last 15 minutes. This session is being recorded and will be posted on the YouTube channel later this afternoon and available on podcast soon after. So with that, over to you, Terence Hunsley.
1: Well, Thanks very much, uh, Andrew, and thanks for the Pearson Center for uh, co-sponsoring this initiative. and, and thanks very much to our guests for uh, for being here with us to, uh, today. I'm going to sort of jump in, but with a kind of a general question, uh, because for the, the past few years, primarily through the efforts of the OECD, several of the world's uh, richer countries have been engaged in the effective taxation of global businesses and, and more generally uh, the global digital uh, economy. Uh, this project has kind of an esoteric uh, acronym, uh, which is BEPS, B E P S, which means base erosion and profit shifting. And uh, there are apparently now a BEPS 1.0 project and a BEPS uh, 2.0, so a remake and, and a, a redirection. Uh, Allison Christians has been following this work, engaging. Uh, the progress, as well as commenting um, more recently on an international discussion about a global excess profits uh, aimed in large part at those corporations which made huge gains as a result of COVID. And now, of course, with COVID having exposed uh, some of the inadequacies uh, in how our economy distributes the benefits of, of work and Many or all countries facing some kind of a huge fiscal bailout, we're even more in need of finding ways to generate enough revenues for governments to carry out the important work that needs to be done. So, I would like to invite Allison to give us her perspective on these general efforts, uh, limited or not to the OECD uh, initiative or broader ones, uh, her assessment of the progress that we're making internationally on this, and generally, I guess whether she's optimistic that we're on the road to significant and, and adequate change in, in this area. So, uh, Allison, over to you.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here, uh, talking about these issues with this panel. Uh, So if you ask me what's happening in the world, I'll say, all you have to do is look around the rise of the tech giants. You know, I think this is a pretty um, ubiquitous group of companies now. Sometimes people call them GAFA. Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, or sometimes they call them the fangs to get Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, and Google in there. The the thing that holds all those companies together is this idea of scale without mass, that they can operate in multiple jurisdictions and interact with local economies without all those traditional modes of income creation, and so we don't have a really good way to tax them. We don't have a really good way to uh, make sure that when companies from outside come into Canada, for example, uh, and use user data becomes part of their profit-making you know, core, we don't have a, a good, simple way to... Uh, you know get the same tax that we would have had they come and built a factory and used the workers uh, labor so the rise of the, t- the digital tech giants starts us down the path um, for sure tax systems are incorporating you know the old ways of doing business our tax system is pretty good at getting uh, old ways of doing business where there's a factory, there's workers, there's, you know, local uh, interactions, but, and conceptualizing value on those terms, but we're not very good at working in the new term, new ways of business, because we don't really understand them. Like, what is it that creates value, a network, uh, a growing network, the users uh, p- posting cat videos, you know, how is that valuable? We don't really understand that. We don't have a way to conceptualize that in a way that can, is consistent with our tax system. So. Even before COVID, uh, that's the discussion that's going on, right? There's sort of a reconfiguration of, well, now that the the old ways of doing business are not how big business works anymore, you know, uh, that means that gradually the tax, the international tax system has actually redistributed wealth wealth among countries and now we have to have a discussion about well, can we reconfigure the way those tax rules work so that we make sure that when we're contributing to global wealth chains that we're able to also tax that. Um, so that it, it, those go in hand in hand, right? There's a configuration of shares, uh, sharing the sort of the wealth that's created with our contribution to the global economy, and this idea that these fangs, the gaffas of the world, are kind of going around everywhere and paying little tax. Uh, kind of everywhere because of the, of how innovative they are. So we find ourselves in, the, in a spot where we want innovation. Obviously we want innovation. We love the creativity that goes into innovative modes of business, but our tax rules, uh, aren't designed for that. So that's, you know, I think where we find ourselves now, the issues that I see are that we haven't really resolved all of those ideas, that we haven't resolved how difficult and uh, complicated it is to trace income flows to specific assets or activities in this or that place because it's all integrated, and then COVID hits. And COVID kind of turns everything upside down. And you would think we would be having a discussion about, well, you know, now the economy is completely in a different place. Like there's some parts of it that don't work at all and are creating a lot of gains that aren't to do with innovation and aren't to do with creativity, but are to do with kind of the brokenness of the market. And that's where I come in with that idea that, well, you know, building on the structures, we could come up with uh an excess profit tax that matches or Conforms with what we 're already building on, but covid doesn 't you know change that basic problem that we have is that we't we just haven 't conceptualized these new modes of doing business and these new create value creators in a way that we can put them in the tax act and Why is that important for us as Canadians? Well, I said the fangs those are all u s companies uh, so if u s companies can dominate the global market uh then and local companies have to face local taxes then you can see right away that we have a problem um, and then when you see that the fangs is not all of them there's a lot of f- uh, firms not a lot there's a few firms outside of the moniker of fangs uh including the canadian shopify uh the Shopify's of the world so there are companies that from the firm perspective don't know what's going to happen when there's all of this sort of frothy movement in the international tax arena so we have two things to think about uh, in canada on the one side we have to make sure we're raising revenue in the appropriate way on the appropriate things and that our tax system is built for the world that we the economic world that we live in now including in the, the trough that we're in right now. And we have to think about Canadian companies and how they're competing in the world and how do we make sure that the world has a coherent tax system so that they're not disadvantaged or they're not put uh, you know, in a position where they're paying tax and their competitors are not. So that's kind of the Allison, big Allison,
1: picture. can I just interject yeah. for a second? and Just ask you to explain the acronym that you, you used as FANG.
2: Oh, thanks. Uh, so I was saying uh, you, you have GAFA and you have FANGS. So, GAFA, sometimes you call it GAFA or the Google tax, they'll call it GAFA tax. That's Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. And the FANGS is Facebook, uh, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And you, you want the FANGS in there because, of course, Facebook is really a unique way of creating profit, right? It's just completely different than all the other ones. So, that's where those acronyms come from. I think the last thing you asked me if we're on the road to progress or is or is it just sort of a noisy uh kind of moment in history well I think we should talk about this on this panel but what is progress so we have right now a crisis, a global crisis, and the global crisis that we have is built on top of a whole lot of stuff that already wasn't working that well, like excessive debt in a lot of countries and the US currency being the currency of last reserve and having an advantage uh, in global trade that is all outside of its uh, proportion of like what we can deal with. Uh, all those problems are still there and tax avoidance is one of those problems is still there. It's very much exactly the same problem as it used to be so what is progress that's a good question i think i'm going to stop talking and tell you i don't know the answer to that if we're on the road to progress or not and see what the others on the panel have to say maybe we can return to that question
1: okay uh thanks very much and and i feel confident if i move over to toby now that uh, he will have an opinion uh, about our progress uh, in that area. And uh, Toby, I just want to uh, mention first that although I know you're very cognizant with the work that's uh, being done, uh, that's being done uh, by OECD, uh, but you're you're also involved on the uh, I think the steering committee of a Commission. Uh, called the International Commission for the Reform of International Corporate Taxation, if I have that right. Uh, It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but uh, uh, maybe uh, I'll I'll ask, I'll give you sort of those two openings, whether they talk about ICRIC or uh, about the adequacy of our efforts so far and where we're going.
3: Sure, sure. I'll uh, absolutely pick up on that. And I, would, I just wanted to say that uh, Alison that, that is absolutely right that the rise of the e- e-commerce and digital corporations has really accentuated uh, uh, some problems that we have in our international corporate tax system, which is founded on, on, on principles of about a century old. And then on top of that, we've had COVID. Which has uh, which has further accentuated those. I mean, companies like Amazon and Shopify, their share prices have uh, have escalated, while Main Street businesses have really suffered uh, uh, through that. So the so those two things have uh, have accentuated this. But at the same time, so so the whole issue of, of taxation of the digital economy was one of the 15 action items for um, in the OECD BEPS project, which started. Uh, um what was it at least five years ago i think through twenty thirteen up uh um and uh so taxation in the digital economy was one part of it but as as the o e c d and a broader group of members have have said the digital economy can't be ring fenced, so we have companies such as uber it's not a taxi company right it's not a trans- they say they're not they're not a transportation company they are a technology company. Uh, And and we have these forms of of, of digital forms uh, spreading throughout the economy. So these are issues, uh, they were present before the rise of the digital economy, but they've been been exacerbated, the problems, some of the problems. So for instance, um, we looked at the uh, Canadians for Tax Fairness, we looked at the uh, at all the um, corporations on the TSX 60, now, over 90% of those have some subsidiaries in a tax haven. So, so the whole issue of, of uh, tax avoidance that the uh, OECD BEPS 2.0 has uh, focused on has it, it kind of came out of the digital economy, but it's dealing with problems that are that uh, that are deep. Uh, um, uh, in the uh, international corporate ta- tax architecture, and this is something that the former head of the uh, of the IMF said that the international corporate tax architecture is fundamentally out of out of date, and that is because um, there's the uh, the the IMF uh, uh, did some estimates a few years ago that uh, they estimated about that that uh, governments around the world lose about 600 billion US. Through uh, tax shifting and uh, and uh, and it's particularly the fangs and the GAFA that are that are that uh, are um, uh, expert at this, um, and it, approximately one percent of uh, of uh, of GDP for OECD countries, higher for developing countries, poor developing countries. So and for Canada, the uh, the PBO came out with estimates saying that it could be up to twenty five billion here. and this is a problem not just in terms of the revenue. But also because it 's the larger companies, the larger multinational companies in particular that can that benefit from it so it's uh, so it 's uh, unfair to do smaller uh, domestic uh, competitors and it 's led to increased corporate <clears throat> concentration but also increased uh, co- uh, concentrations of wealth in that way and then we 've also it, and it 's not just an economic and financial problem but we 've seen and uh, Allison mentioned this. Uh, um, incredible uh, amount of uh, advertising revenue that uh, Google and Facebook have have sucked up. And they're not paying tax in Canada or they're paying some tax in some countries, but uh, fairly low rates. So that's a fact that's undermining democracy and society in different ways. So this is a a big problem that's got a number of different elements. Um, uh, um, you, you, You mentioned ICRID. ICRID was founded a number of years ago to advocate for international corporate tax reforms. It's uh, the commissioners include Joseph Stiglitz, um, Thomas Piketty, a number of former uh, finance ministers from around the world and representatives uh, uh, from uh, Asia, Africa and Latin America who focus very much on the OECD process, but also in particular uh, assisting some of the some of the G2024 and other countries um, um, <clears throat> to 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 advocate uh that aren't part of the OECD but are part of these discussions to to uh to to advocate for progressive uh uh tax reforms international corporate tax reforms that will benefit them and not just the rich countries uh, uh, club in that way so uh it's been operating for a number of years now uh if i can just make a one of the the interesting thing is that is is that the Reform that we've uh, um, that the G24 countries have are advocating for, including India, is is a system of uh, of, um, of for allocating taxable income similar to what we have in Canada and the U.S. A system of uh, formulary apportionment where you um, allocate taxable income uh, to countries based on real economic factors. Uh, in, in this is so. Kind of simple and uncontroversial in Canada that very few people know about this. So that's one element of it. And, and in the U.S., you have it. So instead of having transfer pricing and the arm's length rule, which allows companies to shift profit to subsidiaries, you have it. You have a you have a system that treats those multinationals as, as unitary enterprises and then allocates their profit and then uh, uh, two different countries based on the on their sales. The, or or user data, in the case of uh, some of the uh, some of the um, uh, uh, e commerce companies like Facebook or Google, um, uh, you have a minimum international corporate tax rate, and this is a, this is a simple uh, system that would uh, would vastly reduce the level of uh, tax avoidance and the preferences uh, uh, that uh, that that larger companies are able to obtain from that. So it's a, so it's a so it's a model that, that 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 I think Canada should be promoting to the world in this way.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Toby. And and just before we go to uh, uh, one of the impressions that I I get really from both you and Allison, uh, Toby is we have an, uh, initiatives that seem to have three objectives here. One is increasing tax revenues to government. One is somehow enforcing current tax laws or or ensuring that they operate in the way uh, that they were intended to operate. And the other seems to be uh, some redistribution of income among the countries participating major companies participating are rich, but there is an effort I know the OECD is referring to an inclusive uh, framework, which seems to be intending to, to have more uh, uh, lower income and middle income countries uh, involved in this. But I, I am wondering if these three objectives uh, don't in some ways uh, counteract each each other. It seems difficult to imagine a project uh, taking place within a reasonable period of time to be effective and to be uh, pursuing all of these objectives at the same time would either of you have a comment on that maybe Allison. yeah Allison sure Kirk. yeah, yeah
2: um yeah so you you put your finger on the button uh anything that's going on at the oecd right now the revenue effects of that won't be felt for five maybe six seven eight years uh so in terms of what's happening right now in our situation with covid induced you know revenue crisis uh the oecd is not, not going to be able to fix that collaborative multinational uh policy making is about long term setting norms that will set up a consensus that countries in theory can live with for the next you know several decades until the next cycle starts mm-hmm. so but there is a there is a connection between where taxes are allocated or where income is allocated for tax purposes and how much tax is paid. So the allocation function that Toby is talking about with formulary apportionment is the same allocated function. Any rules that you make that says some income goes in jurisdiction A and some in B and some in C. So long as jurisdiction C is a low tax jurisdiction, then everybody's going to try to get as much income into jurisdiction C as possible. Whether you want to call that a, ta- I don't really use the word tax haven because I think every country is a tax haven in some respects, in different ways. But it just the, the where the material income that you, the income streams that you have, if they can be put in jurisdiction C, then jurisdictions A and B can agree all day long. But if jurisdiction C doesn't see it the same way, then you're still going to have that same problem so you run into a difficulty which is that if you're trying to build rules that work for everyone you will not get there you you cannot get there because precisely because the rules work for some uh, and they work They don't work very well for others. And so the question is not who, you know, who does, who, who should, or what is the perfect system? It's which country's preferences will prevail. And in the past, those countries that had geopolitical power were able to create consensus positions that suited them mutually, and they built the consensus we're living with. And the world has since changed quite a lot, but some of those power brokers are still there in the middle of the process, and guess what? If those power brokers don't wanna change the rules, it kinda doesn't matter what the right idea is. It kinda doesn't matter because they're not gonna go along with it, and it's all of a piece, right? It's all interconnected. So this question about redistribution or sharing in a different way, Is very much about countries that feel that the old consensus has gradually chipped away what was being, what used to be in their tax base. But where's that tax base now? Uh, If you think that tax base is in the Cayman Islands, you're wrong. It's not. It's in the United States. Uh, And the United States does not want other countries to tax its companies. Plain and simple, period. The United States does not want foreign countries to tax the profits of U.S. companies. Why? Because any tax by any other country takes wealth away from the United States, the wealth that would otherwise go to the the United States in terms of its GDP and in terms of returns to shareholders. So the U.S. is not gonna cooperate. So then the question is, can you build around that? Can you work around that assumption that the U.S. will not cooperate? And that it could be a long-term project but the immediate term is you have to look at the things that the us and other relevant countries have agreed to what have they what agreements have they already made so we have canada has with the united states a tax treaty we have uh the us mca the i don't even know what to call this thing anymore the new nafta you know we have gats we're both members of gats and the world trade organization system and all those agreements will say something about the kinds of things that we can do right now uh, in respect of income flows generated by foreign taxpayers. And those are the things that we can do and should be doing in immediate term if what we're trying to do is get revenue in Canada. Mm. And But at the same time, if we think, well, we have to build a system that is principled, we have to be able to go to other countries and say, we're building something that you should see as fair too so that you'll agree with us. That's just not something we're gonna do overnight.
3: Right. The, and and the irony is, that, or irony or hypocrisy is that the, the the U.S. likes to tax on worldwide or global income for for, well, for U.S. Nominally. resident companies, right? And it's for nominally. individuals, and that's uh, and and I think that's uh, something that, Ch- that uh, Chandra has taken up on this. Uh, but uh, but 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 they they're not too keen when uh, when others want to tax some yeah. of their own companies for the activity that's taken place on that. I just wanted to pick up on one thing there. You're asking about progress. It was interesting a year ago when when the OECD kind of started on BEPS too, I th- a number of us who have been active in the tax justice movement for a number of years were pretty shocked that they were considering some some of the proposals that we didn't think would see the light of day. For five or ten years. So what the what has happened at the OECD has been moving at you know somewhat lightning speed in terms of reforms. Now it's you know what we will get out of it and how how extensive those reforms will be. We don't know, but they were supposed to come to uh, they're supposed to come to a consensus um, a- agreement for the G20 um, leaders meeting at the end of this year. So uh, to 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 get some international agreement on this, uh, uh, involving 130 plus countries, uh, is uh, was highly ambitious, and uh, and and it's um it's been progress that uh, that a number of years you know years ago we didn't think we were going to get close to this progress for many years. It's some hopes are evaporating in different ways, but uh, but at the same time. Things are being discussed that, um, uh, and intense discussions are taking place and negotiations uh, that, uh, that that we really didn't think were going to happen for many years. So we'll see how much progress there is at the end of the year. Much will depend on the U.S., as Alison has said, uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, and of course the COVID pandemic has uh, has shifted attention away from some of those discussions, but also uh, put attention on on other areas. So. I don't want to take away from uh, Chandra's time on this. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, thanks, and Chandra, I want to uh, in, invite you to comment on the discussion uh, uh, so far, and uh, in so far as as you wish, uh, but also, you know, we've 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 been told that uh, we're going to have a speech from the throne coming in September. You can tell us exactly what's going to be in it if you wish, or you can you can keep that secret. Uh, but uh, we anticipate that uh, there's going to be uh, a need for, for the Canadian governments to, uh, to generate revenues. Uh, there's, going, you know, there's going to be an ambitious program that's put uh, before us and, uh, uh, which will undoubtedly involve a fair amount of spending. But I'm wondering what what you feel is the is the 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 taste, if you like, or the or the interest uh, in Ottawa nowadays to to really go in any kind of an aggressive or assertive way uh, on uh, in this kind of international domain, or are countries just likely to try to deal with things through you know, domestic policies and redistribution, uh, and that kind
4: of thing. Uh, Thanks, Terence. You know, I'll touch, quickly I'll touch on what Alison mentioned about the Fang stocks, the FANG and Microsoft, that have become so big, you know, US stock market is the biggest in the world, I think with about 13 trillion dollars market capitalization, the index that best represent the best of the companies listed there is SMP 500 representing 500 companies however the top five stocks the top five companies account for 23 percent of the entire market capitalization just step back and see how big they are five of 500 account for 23% of the total market and remaining 495 account for 75%. So they have grown very, very big because of the advantages they have as Alison explained. Mostly they why mostly they're all US companies but earning their revenues globally without having to pay the tax. So that is one thing, and uh, Toby quickly, uh, I know international tax, uh, I have touched a bit on the personal tax. Probably that's the only thing I agree with the US that our citizens, irrespective of where they live, should pay tax, maybe at a different rate, but they should pay because they have the same right as resident Canadians for all the benefits that Canada offers. You know, when the issue of tax comes in, especially when Andrew sent the email, first thing that uh, stuck my mind was what I studied in my MBA 35 years back in a small university, a small college. Our professor, a very renowned guy, he told us we were new, tax evasion is illegal tax avoidance is legal. In the same breath, he also explained one of the Supreme Court of uh, India's judgment. I mean, just to paraphrase it, any transaction that does not have any other material effect other than reducing or eliminating tax payable is illegal now in the international context too I think that should be the approach this COVID situation has changed quite dramatically we have just had a first look of what it has done and going forward we are going to see much more much much more its effect the new normal will be totally different than what it is you know, during the last several years, people like me were watching the discussion on modern monetary theory from the sidelines. As a bystander, it was interesting to watch. However, now with no advance notice, most countries in the world are actually in the territory of MMT. People can say that, you know, you don't have to worry about deficit anymore. You don't have to worry about the national debt anymore. As long as you are a currency issuing sovereign power, you can go ahead. And that thinking is taking place. However, we cannot go take that route forever. We have to look at means where we can get new revenue streams and you know for the immediate purpose one of the things i have already proposed to the government is to go for zero based budgeting not with the intention to cut spending but to repurpose the spending from the programs that we currently have to repurpose the funds to the programs and activities that create immediate economic growth that is one thing you also mentioned on the throne speech, uh, most of the things I'm hearing within our party circles, I can say, is obviously more spending. Oh, national child care, uh, universal basic income, universal pharma care, senior strategy, enhanced EI. One underlying thing on, for all these things I've been hearing is we need to invest more we need to spend more but I am not hearing it how we can go about it anyway uh, confidentially my uh, proposal to the throne speech I don't know whether the government accepts it or not is to take a dramatic bold as our prime minister said it has to be something bold it has something big my proposal to the government is to take a, make a declared goal to double Canada's population in the next 30 years. And in my view that can stimulate economic growth and make Canada a real middle power at least in 20, 30 years time. Anyway, let's not go there. Uh, I am not a great fan of multilateral institutions have been arguing for the last several years, our international aid is best dispersed through bilateral uh, aid agreements instead of through multilateral aid agreements. Having said that, I understand the importance and necessity of multilateral approach towards issues like taxation. Uh, In fact, Toby, when I saw your email, when you said uh, it has been unilateral measures, particularly the introduction of digital service taxes that have effectively forced. In fact, uh, this uh, is something, as I said, though I'm in favor of multilateral approach because that is required, that is the only way uh, anything related to international taxation can be effective but we also need to take some unilateral approach. And Terrence, you mentioned three things. What, the second one was the enforcement of existing laws. And there, we are taking some steps, but not so effective, but we are taking some steps. Currently in Canada, there are about 50 active investigation on the international tax evasion. And we have allocated, I think, over $1.5 billion that was cut by the previous government. It is nothing politics in here. What I'm saying is that we recognize the need for investment. And it also makes business case. Long time back, I had heard every dollar invested in an auditor focusing on international tax generates 42 dollars in additional tax revenue. I don't know whether that is correct or wrong, but that is what was, I remember reading it. So we are uh, going in that direction, but enforcing is still a problem. I will say the talent that is available in the private sector audit firms and the law firms Many of the talent has actually moved from the government sector. The officials, the officers who are involved in drafting, developing, implementing the current rules are now the advisors or the advocates for the corporations. But, uh, and you know, all this, whatever we try to do unilaterally, it means legislative changes. And every legislative changes I learned after I became an MP, it takes five to seven years. Now, whatever we do on our own, then we'll have to change, modify or redo once we get agreements with the other uh, fellow nations. And I was told that uh, the uh, new deadline or the current deadline of uh, this uh, 2.0, BEPS 2.4 is this year end. Right. If we are successful in that, then it will take much, much more time for us to go and actually implement it. Uh, it is a fact: the big companies' revenues are global, but taxation is not. Uh, there will be pressure. There is pressure. There will be renewed pressure on governments to act, and this COVID has setting all new rules. Yes, as Alison said, US as the, uh, what was that, geopolitical power, that was enforcing the consensus. I think that is expected to change. I think that will change.
1: Thank uh, thank you. I want to just note that uh, uh, Andrew, who is uh, visible in the background, will be coming on in just a few minutes with uh, with questions that uh, may be coming in from uh, our listeners, and uh, if you are listening and uh, have not posed a question, then uh, please uh, do so, and, and uh, Andrew will will be back with those. But uh, just to, I'll just kind of open this up and see if there's anyone who uh, wants to to make a comment, and I'll go to Allison.
2: Yeah. I definitely do thank you so much for those comments so much in there so first thing I want to say is taxing citizens on the basis of their citizenship is a mistake it's unworkable it's also not normatively justified if you'd like to know why I would love to give you all kinds of literature on that so please before anybody starts thinking that's a good idea please read some of what I've said about the US practice in doing that it is not justified and what we have to do is find the people who are actually actually using Canada's economy and creating value here those are the people we should be taxing whether they're citizens or not citizenship has nothing to do with it so i just need to get that out there because it's like a pet peeve for me when people start talking about this the reason that countries don't do this is because it's a bad idea it's a terrible idea and it's not progressive and it's not going to get you the revenue you think you're going to get it's not because we don't live in a world where you can go get those people and tell their home countries that they can't tax them so, trust me, bad idea. Let now, me give you a better idea, though. Now, let but, me
4: just yeah, one sure, second. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. Respectfully, yeah, I have to disagree. I, I know, but that's because, because you haven't
2: read my paper no, on
4: it. No, listen.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, I promise. I'm not you haven't doing read
4: it the paper. because the United States is doing that. United States reason is very historical. My reasoning is Contemporary.
2: Yeah, but it's it's not going to work. First of all, it's not going to work. And second of all, all those citizens that live somewhere else are, most of them are already paying taxes somewhere else. So even if you try to tax them, all you're going to do is give them a lot more work to do to comply with the Canadian tax system and not get much revenue. We need to focus on who's got revenue that's our taxpayer now. And the the, the reason so that, that we, we built the tax base on that
4: we have you and I are going to disagree on this. I want to
2: do it. I want to <laughs> totally have this conversation with you. I would love to be uh, in a discussion on this, on the merits, because I think yeah. when you look at the merits, you will walk away from this idea very quickly, because there's so many better options. I'll give you a better option. In uh, in wartime, H. Ward Steichman himself uh, wrote canada's excess profits tax it didn't take years it didn't take months it took weeks and they put that thing together and they had a consultation and they had that thing in place by the end of the year and it was collecting revenue the next year h yard e. segment did that uh, with the help of a small team did he later go into practice and make a whole lot more money yes but at with the time when he wrote that law he was about building something that would create revenues generation right away so it's not something that always has to take five years. Some things have to take five years, but there are some things you can do right now. And some of them are in the legislation that we have that we could change. So uh, we could get into the weeds, I don't think we want to here, but I just float the idea that you think about that uh, one of the big, revenue generators for the big tech the ones that are taking making it impossible for canadian small competitors to rise up because they can't you can't compete against netflix because not only are they big but they don't pay tax but one of the things that you could get is the advertising revenues that are paid now to digital platforms that aren't here they used to be paid for newspapers and radios and radio coverage and so on here in canada so you could tax them but they can't when they go overseas well we've got technical rules to deal with that there's a, a deduction a denial of deduction for advertising revenues when they're paid to foreign broadcasters television and print so why are we not extending that to the big technical giants so it there's What I'm suggesting is, when you talk about being bold, and I understand the political impetus for being bold, but sometimes the most effective policy is to look at the structure you've already built. Look in the weeds and find the ones that are knotted up incorrectly and untangle those first. Untangle those broken parts first. And if we did that, we wouldn't have to wait five or six years, we'd be talking about some revenue streams in a matter of months. The question I mean, is how much? In, And I don't uh, know,
1: Allison, if you don't mind, because I yeah. think that uh, actually I think I'm going to suggest to uh, Andrew that we collaborate and do something specifically on this question of of, of where we get taxes and taxing uh, citizens uh, abroad. I think there's a there's an interesting dynamic to to follow there. But uh, while I have a chance to maybe pose one last question before Andrew comes in, I want to do this and I'll direct it to Toby, but I will uh, open it to everyone. Uh, Toby, you've you've mentioned that there appears to be a possibility that we could generate $25 billion a year of extra revenue from taxing corporations. Now, and just as a comparator, I think that the HST Generate something like $275 billion a year uh, for for Canadian governments just now, and the OECD, I think back around 1912, a project looking ahead uh, over a 50-year period, and one of the things that they said was it's going to be more and more difficult to tax income, uh, and for many of the reasons that we've discussed here, it can be, it can be moved around, it can be redefined, and I mean, so uh, the question here would be, you know, if we were looking to finance, let's say, a university-based income or something like that, uh, is is the taxing of of income or the profits of, of global corporations is it likely to generate anywhere near those kinds of revenues, or should we be looking at other source, uh, other tax sources, you know, and whether that be Consumption with some kind of way to make it progressive, uh, or 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 other sources. What? How important do you think the work is that we're doing on on this front right now?
3: Well, the income tax is is very important. Um, I I don't have the, the the exact figures on the on the GST HST, but it's in the tens of tens of billions, maybe. Sorry, I've forgotten. No, like, exactly it's what it's Five billion. No, w- 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 well, not a year. It's certainly not a year. The total revenues for, for 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 the for the federal government are in the range of about three hundred three hundred well, billion, billion, and and spent, the largest um, amount of that, about half of that, close to half of that, comes from personal income tax. About uh, forty or fifty billion from corporate income tax, and uh, the re- the remainder from uh, from uh, from GST and uh, and other revenue sources. Income taxes uh, of, uh, of individuals and corporations are 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 are, are very important. Um, would they pay for something like a basic income? The cost it all depends on the cost of a basic income. But they are but they are very important. But it's really important to maintain the integrity of it so that you don't have a leaky bucket. Because as the leaky as the bucket becomes more and more leaky. Uh, uh, the rates that you can charge, uh, 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 the, the, the tax rates decline as well. Uh, we didn't, and it was really good to see in the last election that all the major parties, um, uh, the Liberals, Conservatives, NDP, and Greens, all supported the idea of having some sort of digital services tax. So uh, uh, on the Gafa and uh, and the Fang companies. So in addition that um, uh, Professor Christians talked about excess profits tax. That's something that could be easily introduced. Uh, uh, and it was, uh, Canada had an excess profits tax in the first and second world wars that brought in more more money. So it was on profits above, it varied, but it was generally on profits above 7.5% or around that range. Um, uh, but it brought in more, more, more tax than the actual corporate income tax. Brought in uh, during some of those years, uh, so, so so they're very important taxes. Uh, they help to maintain some progressive progressivity of the system, but it's really important to impa- to keep the integrity of it. So there aren't a whole lot of loopholes or ways of avoiding and evading tax. And there is a bit of a line between evasion and 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 uh, and avoidance as uh, as uh, as. Uh, um, Chandra mentioned, but it can be a gray line, too. It's, uh, it, but it's aggressive tax avoidance and everything else. So, 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 uh, and, and basically you need uh, and that's determined by the courts on a, on a, on a week-to-week sure. basis. Terence, right. can I jump in with a couple of questions uh, from the audience?
4: Just uh, second Andrew, just one, uh, sure. one Terence, uh, in my mm-hmm. opinion, there is no appetite for any potential increase in direct or indirect taxes from Canadians. Right. So we have to find a new ways to expand the tax base, taxpayers base. You know, the international students, they alone contribute $21 billion to Canadian economy. $21 billion, which is bigger than the automotive sector. So we need to look at ways like this to stimulate economic growth, which will bring in more revenue rather than going after the existing base. Right.
1: Okay, Andrew, I think you're you're in the background there.
0: Chopping at the bit. So this is Andrew Cardo from the Pearson Center. You can't see me for strange technological reasons, but here's a couple of questions from our audience. Uh, so the first one will be uh, for Pro- uh, Professor Christians. Um, you say we're not bad at the traditional economy, but what about the subsidiaries or our major corporate, corporations and tax havens and the failure of the government to deal with money laundering? And for Chandra and uh, Toby, uh, the question is, putting aside the issues around the digital economy, what can Canada do to become a more attractive tax jurisdiction for multinational enterprises? Uh, f- Enterprise investments, notably around greater predictability, certainty of audits. Professor Christians, you want to start?
2: Yeah, um, we're the answer to the second question is we're plenty attractive. Don't worry. Uh, and the answer to the first question is when I say we're not bad at the traditional economy stuff, I mean, listen, if we don't get the income tax on uh, inbound investment, I've got a little echo, so I'm not sure if it's an I want to make sure everybody can hear me okay. I, if I hear myself twice, it makes it a little bit too much, too much me. Uh, so we're not, when I say we're not bad at the traditional uh, factors, I mean, like, look, if we can't tax the inbound capital, when labor is uh, Canadian labour is employed, we can tax employees. We're really good at that. We're really good at taxing wages. When local property uh, is used, we're really pretty good at that. Property in the tax net it's hard to get away with not paying tax i mean it's not impossible look as toby said there's plenty of uh leaky bucket problems and we need to fix them all when you talk about money laundering it's just a different issue companies okay yes it's true some once in a while you're gonna see money laundering but when i'm thinking about Uh, multinationals in general. I am not trying to design a system on the criminal side of putting people in jail for money laundering. That's That's not where, yes, all of that has to be done. But what I'm talking about when you're designing principles for taxing corporate income, you have to assume that a lot of companies are gonna try to comply with your law. That means they're gonna do everything that's legally possible to not pay tax short of actually breaking the law, engaging in fraud. You hope, yes, of course there's some that will, but we need to make a system that actually can work for those that aren't gonna be engaged in money laundering and aren't engaged in fraud, but they're just coming in and using the rules that we have. And those rules are really messy, they're really complicated, and it takes a lot of expertise to understand them and unpack them, and there's an army of tax lawyers trying to help companies navigate them. So we have to get those right. So, you know, it's just the wrong question to ask, well, why haven't we done anything about money laundering? I, I think that is a question and we should have that question, but when we're having a discussion about taxing multinationals, that's not the question we should be talking about because multinationals don't have to, a lot of them don't have to ev- evade or break the law. The law is handing them tax avoidance on a plate and giving it, serving it up. So that's what we've got to fix. And I think it's not a quick fix, in some ways and some things, it probably is a pretty simple uh, change here and there. But you know, you don't go through uh, the Canadian tax jurisprudence with blinders on. You realize that we're operating in a global world. Whatever rules we create. The companies are gonna arbitrage with the rules that are created in other countries, and that's why we have to talk about multilateralism. It is messy and it's complex, and it has to do with geopolitics, but this is the only way that you can, in any way, talk about a coherent tax system. You can't do that in a purely domestic context.
4: Uh, Toby, can I?
2: Yes.
4: Okay, uh, Andrew, I would, say that we should not look from the angle of making canada an attractive destination from having the lowest tax etc i think that is not the route we should take the route we should take is that how can we make canada an attractive destination for setting up a new business one will automatically start getting the taxes uh, from the existing laws For example, it is started happening. You know, we have to use our locational advantage. The best locational advantage is we are next to the biggest economy on the earth. So we have to use that and it is already taking its effect. So slowly companies across the world, they are realizing Canada can act as the best base for export to the U.S. That is one thing another thing we have to look where the economy is going the economy is going the way of artificial intelligence robotics genomics etc that is where it is going and that is where we have to make canada an attractive destination for the global companies to come here again third one you know the uh, it also deals with the so-called carbon tax or the pricing of pollution to meet the uh, greenhouse uh, emission to bring down the greenhouse emission. The world is going towards electric vehicles. Few years back, el- owning an electric vehicle was costly, prohibitive. It was expensive. Today, as of today, during the lifetime of owning a vehicle, an electric vehicle is actually cheaper than a comparable Toyota Camry or a Ford Fusion. And that is today. And within 12 to 24 months, I'm talking of 12 months to 24 months, the sticker price of electrical vehicles will be cheaper than comparable internal combustion engines. The internal combustion engines, automotive market worldwide, which is a trillion dollar economy is going down and how we can make canada attractive for this new economy maybe in terms of battery manufacturing maybe in terms of nickel production that goes into batteries so i think we should approach in expanding the taxpayer base in terms of new companies coming into canada setting up their business thank
3: you if i can uh, if i can add to that i i I think that we should be focusing on traditional competitive factors. It's education, it's innovation, it's quality of life. I mean, the bigger companies with the higher valued, higher value jobs, they want, and the people who work in them want to live in places that uh, that have got, well, childcare, they've got clean, they've got good public services and uh, and things like that. And we also need to have a fair and effective tax system, which which um, Larger companies, um, uh, I mean, a lot of those larger companies already employ people in Canada. They may shift their profits elsewhere, but we need to have a, a, a fair tax system so that, uh, so that the larger multinational corporations can't get an unfair advantage. They will, they, they will establish their production in different places, but they will shift their profits in other places and get that under unfair advantage. So we, so we need that, uh, that level playing field on that and uh, And focus on the real factors uh, uh, uh these companies um will employ uh, uh you know uh, troops of uh, of, uh, of transfer pricing specialists and tax accountants and lawyers those aren't really creating real value and so we need to focus on the real things that that, that matter and reform our international tax system so so it's fair it doesn't have all these leaky holes and that uh, some can take advantage. Of.
1: Right. Uh, thank you. I see we're uh, we're at the uh, three o'clock uh, mark, and uh, I want to take one quick moment just to, uh, to to apologize to Toby. I added a zero to my figure for HST, um, but uh, thanks for for clarifying that. Uh, 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 Andrew, I'm uh, not sure if you're still in the background, and, and I
4: do, yeah,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll turn it over to you then at this point, but thanks to uh, everyone for your participation.
0: Yeah, there was a terrific session. Uh, sincere thanks to Professor Alison Christians, Chandra Arya, Toby Sanger, and Terence Hunsley. A fascinating discussion. Really experience, uh, appreciate your sharing your expertise with us. There is much com- complexity on these issues uh, that we've discussed and certainly a long way ahead. I think we shed a lot of light on some of the key issues that require attention in the months ahead. So thanks so much. Uh, I just wanna tell the audience there are several more uh, webinars in the the weeks ahead. Um, Some of them as as today's deal with uh, issues that we hope will come up in the throne speech. And I'll just quickly mention them. We have a session on basic income uh, this Wednesday, September the 2nd, a webinar on the future of work on September the 8th, national childcare on September the 10th, and cybersecurity in remote workplaces on September 16th. So, thanks everybody. Um, since you since you can't hear the audience applause for you, I'm gonna ask you to clap for each other as we go out. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you.
4: Thanks, guys. What a nice meeting you.